You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. I would say get into the habit. Okay, let me try that again. Hold on. I know you guys are just waking up. Everyone say get into the habit of being present. Amen. Well, happy Family Day weekend uh, for everyone here. Again, we have some uh, activities and fellowship time right after service that, of course, you're all invited to come and, and participate in, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and there's going to be some board games that we're going to be playing and stuff, and a lot of opportunity for me to beat you all in these board games. So please stick around for that. Of course, we are in, this, in the middle of our series, Get Into the Habit, and this series of, is, has the purpose of getting us back on track on certain spiritual disciplines that we uh, ought to be practicing as believers if we want to grow in the faith. In the, few, the past few weeks, we've been talking about praying and, and, and getting into the Word, studying God's Word, and uh, we want to get back on track of these things if we have been off track of it, or if we have been consistent, we want to equip ourselves with better tools and or practical application in terms of how to deepen our spiritual disciplines or how to deepen ourselves in these uh, spiritual disciplines. And of course, we've been challenging ourselves, our church community, for the next 60 day, 66 days to develop these things. Uh, again, according to psychologists, it takes about 66 days to develop a new habit and and, and that's what we're trying to do as a church community. We're going to be praying. We're going to be reading God's word for the next 66 days up until the Easter 2023 in the, in the effort and hopes that we would eventually cultivate good spiritual disciplines, good spiritual habits in our community. Now, of course, continuing in this series, uh, we, we don't want to make things legalistic in terms of us keeping track of these things. And just to, by a show of hands, though, uh, who's been keeping track? Who's been following up on the 66-day challenge? Good, good. I'm, good. I'm glad to see that some hands going up there. And listen, if you didn't put up your hand, again, it, it, we don't want to be legalistic about this, but please try to push yourself. Try to get into the habit of these things. Practice these things on a daily basis. Basis. Now, this morning, we will be discussing uh, another spiritual discipline, another spiritual truth, and, and as you can probably tell by the title, it's the, 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 the habit of being present. Now, this doesn't simply mean being present here at church or having a good, clean church attendance. It actually goes deeper than that. It's a very, again, it's a spiritual discipline that we're talking about in this series. This morning, we'll be discussing the ministry of presence, the ministry of presence. And I'm sure you've, have, you've heard of this ministry, of this spiritual discipline in the past in some shape or form, and maybe not directly called the ministry of presence, but I, I, I feel that we need to talk about this because I'm seeing this term being passed around in more secular circles, in more self-help circles, and, and I, I think as a church, we need to discuss this because its roots are found in Scripture. 
Its roots are very much integral to the Christian faith and to, as to what a believer is, this ministry of presence. To summarize it, to define it, it's simply the call to be part of the local church for the purposes of encouraging, edifying, and loving brothers and sisters in Christ in every aspect of life. Or maybe you've heard it this way, simply to do life together. That's what the ministry of presence is. It's a call for believers to be, to be present in one another's lives, to bear one another's burdens, to keep brothers accountable, to encourage discouraged sisters. It's not a new thought. It's not a secular philosophy that we're talking about. It's deeply rooted in the Christian faith. Look at Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says, uh, I'm talking about the early church. And they, did, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were, what? Together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as in any had need. And day by day attending the temple together... And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They, that's the language that was talk, that's being used in this passage in the early church. They, they devoted themselves to study of Scripture, to prayer, to, to breaking bread together, to fellowship. They had all things in common. Later in Acts chapter 4, it goes on to expand this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They, all ha they had all things in common. This can only be done when you are present in one another's lives. When you are present in church. The ministry of presence also refers to the priesthood of the believer. We don't, that, that idea is that we don't need earthly priests to, 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 to intervene for us, to, to intercede for us in between us and God, because the Bible tells us that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ and that all believers are called to the priesthood of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Up as a spiritual house to be a what? Holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then in verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is a priesthood of believers. Every single one of you who is a believer in Christ today, who, who has identified with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, who has found forgiveness and redemption in the Savior, you are called to be a priest. You are called to be a priest in the house of God. God calls you. God mandates you. God has chosen you, every believer, to be a priest in his kingdom, offering acceptable worship to him, but also minister to one another. We are called to minister to one another. Again, this is why it's called the ministry of presence. It's to serve one another. It's, 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 it's not optional according to Scripture. If you are saved, you are chosen for this purpose. To, do, to bring worship to God, yes, but to also edify and encourage and build up His 
bride, the church. I think this is an important topic because to discuss and why it's important to get back into the habit of this understanding or the habit of the spiritual discipline. Because as you all know, in the recent years, especially after the pandemic and during the pandemic, the church has been very separated. Individuals in the church have been very separated. The, 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 the trend or the, 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 the idea of doing church at home and just watching on, online has has gone really popular as a result of the lockdowns and staying at home. And I've heard it time and time again, Christians, believers claiming, I don't need to be in a church building or I don't need to be in a building to be in church. I am the church. Who's heard that before? The reality is that's not what the Bible says. The church is the assembly of believers. It's not you individually. It's when the believers in Christ assemble together with varying gifts, worshiping God, but also edifying one another. That's when church happens. It's not just you. It's not, it's just not, it's not just you and your giftings and your personal walk with God. That is not the church. So, so this morning, what we'll be discussing is what it truly means to be present, to practice the ministry of presence so that it's not just us when it's not just us coming to church and 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 sort of consuming as we always call it consuming things from church and talk just our, our thoughts are on ourselves and and what we can get but rather the right perspective of coming not just to worship God yes that's good and first priority but also giving back also edifying and ministering to the brothers and sisters that's sitting next to you It's important that uh, as we discuss this, that we are uh, reminded, especially as we go through our passages, that we really are reminded of what it means to be present. And some, what we'll go through is some practical steps to be more present as a church. And this is because this is exactly what Paul is talking about in our passage in Romans chapter 12. Let's get into that real quick here. Everyone say context for me. The context of Romans chapter 12, first and foremost, the context of the church of Rome, as, we, as this letter is directed to, is that, first, is that historically speaking, there was no individual apostle who established the church in Rome. Most likely on the day of Pentecost, if you know that story, everybody was in, in Jerusalem that day, and, and the apostles there received the Holy Spirit. And many people during that day were, were from varying parts of the land. Probably some of them were from Rome. And after hearing the apostle Peter's message, people from Rome was most likely saved and went back to their home city in Rome and that's how the church of Rome got started. There was no, again, specific apostle that established that, that church in, 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 in Rome. And so problems occurred or problems arose as a result of that, specifically because the Gentile believers in Rome were now in this faith. But the Jewish believers of Rome were saying, okay, but you still have to practice the old Jewish traditions. You still have to practice the old Jewish faith. 
The Gentile believers were saying, well, I don't know about that. I don't think we need to do that anymore. Or they were even explicitly saying that the Jewish faith and the Jewish people were no longer relevant because the gospel had now, had, had now expanded to the Gentile world as well. So now enter Paul, who writes the Roman letter to the church at Rome in order to really clarify to them what their faith is meant to look like. If there is any book in the Bible that you want to learn systematic theology, it is the book of Romans. It's a good read if you've never read it through it. It discusses the nature of sin and how we are in a sinful world. It discusses the gospel that saves us, both the Jews and the Gentiles. It discusses God's sovereignty, God's sovereign choice to predestine certain individuals, to save them for his, uh, for his glory, all of that. Again, if you want to read a good systematic theology book, read the book, or read the letter to the Romans. Now, Paul goes through all of that to just clarify again to these believers who don't have an apostle at their church what the traditions and what the actual faith, the convictions of the church ought to be. And so that's from chapter 1 to chapter 11 of the letter to the Romans, the systematic theology part. But then here we come to our chapter in chapter 12, where Paul now gets into the practical application of all the theology that he talks about. Having established the doctrine of the faith, he now goes to, here's how you apply it. Let's look at verse 1 of our passage again. He says, I appeal to you therefore, therefore meaning after having read all that doctrine, I appeal to you therefore now, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When Paul talks about presenting your bodies, he's not just talking about your physical body, but literally your entire being for, uh, your entire being as an as a acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, as in devotion to the Lord. And now when he says that this is your spiritual worship, this, which is your spiritual worship, he's, in some translations you might have a footnote there saying that it's your reasonable, reasonable, sorry, reasonable service. Meaning, having received the mercies of God, again, all the doctrines up to, up to that point, up to chapter 12, having received the mercies of God, this is the only logical conclusion. This is what naturally follows after understanding that you have been, as a Gentile, been grafted into the people of Israel, or now have received the mercies of God, have been saved by the sovereign choice of God. This is the only reasonable thing to follow. This is the only reasonable step to follow. This is your act of worship. And he says in verse 2, Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world. Meaning, do not assume an outward expression that does not reflect your inward conviction. Do not behave like the world. Like, again, do not have this external experience that is similar to the world that doesn't reflect your internal conviction. But rather, he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed. That's where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's that inward conviction transforming outwardly into an outward, ex or ex outward expression. Paul says, be a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual, this is your rational service, the only logical conclusion. Don't conform to this world, but be transformed. That's his mandate to the church now. But how? How do we do this? Well, go to verse 3 of our passage. Paul says, 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul's emphasis and point in this passage is to get believers to, to understand that they are, they, they, are not, they are not individuals in the faith. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. The reality is, when you get saved, you don't suddenly have everything all together. What is Paul, that's what Paul is talking about. Don't think of yourself as if you have it all together, as individually as a believer in Christ. But rather, think with sober judge, judgment. He is establishing the fact that, again, remember, we were grafted into the people of Israel from chapter 11, he talks about. We are part of a whole, not individuals, when we, when we are saved. When we are part of a church. But rather to think of your ability, your, that your ability is proportionate to what the Spirit has gifted you. And he goes on to that in verse 4 of our passage. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, are one body in Christ. Paul is saying, you are saved to be part of a church. You don't have all the... All the you, you are not a one-man army for God. You know, uh, something big that's happening or <laughs> something big that we've been talking about in our life groups is, I don't know, maybe you've heard of this show called Physical 100, right? Anyone into this? Anyone watching this on Netflix? Is one of these, the most, Brother Josh is like, has his hand straight up here. Like he's full, full in conviction for this show, you know? And, and, and it's, if you, if you don't know what the show is, it's this Korean competition show where they get all these athletes, these uh, crossfitters, these Olympians, these bodybuilders, all these things to come and, and compete in this, this competition where they try to find out who has the best body type in the sense of, you know, strength and endurance and speed, all of these things. And what's amazing to see about this competition is that not a single person is good at everything, Right? You have one guy who's great at climbing. You have one guy who's really fast. You have one guy who's really strong, except for my boy, Yun Sing Bin, right? The Iron Man, like, all the way. He's going to make it all the way. But aside from him, aside from him, everybody else is good at one thing or another. That's how the church is made up. Not one single person is good at everything. But that, the purpose of that is so that we could come together as a whole, as a one body in Christ, to fill up the gaps, to fill up where one person's weaknesses are, to complement the strengths of another brother or another sister. No one is a one-man army in God. No one is a jack-of-all-trades who can do everything. Everyone's gifting is very specific and has a place in the body of Christ. And again, that's what Paul talks about in verse 4 to 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul says, how do we be a living sacrifice? How do we become transformed and not conform to the world? He says, we have been given gifts to serve as part of the one body of Christ. To serve as part of the church. To be part of the community of believers. Though many, we are one in Christ. Paul's push is to not act independently, but in tandem with other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Paul's push, and here's a reminder for us this morning, is that we are many but one in the church. We are many but one in the church. Paul expands on this, on this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 11, he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Very clear. You yourself are not the church. It's when the collective, um, the collective congregation of believers gather together. That is the church of Christ. Again, and he goes on to explain further in the chapter that just because one hand says that he doesn't need an eye doesn't mean that that eye is not part of the body or uh, an eye can't say to the, the hand that, you know, we don't need you. It's still part of the body. It says in verse 22, on the contrary, the parts, that the, body, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts of the, the body that we might think is less honorable is actually of greater honor. The reason why God, and then he gets into the reason why God made the church this way. Verse 24, look at this with me. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffers together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That is the essence of the ministry of presence. That we are, infect, we, are, we are affected by each thing that happens to every one of our members in this church. It's the reason why the church, the body of Christ, was made with various parts and various giftings and various kinds of people with different kinds of backgrounds and understandings. We are to be united all the more because of our differences in order to better care for one another. If all of us were, were hands... We would not have eyes to see the oncoming danger. If all of us were mouths, we would not have ears to listen to sound counsel. If all of us were just brains, we would have no heart to feel for the lost, for the needy, for those who are hurting. This is the point. Listen, brother and sister, you were created. You were saved. You were gifted. You were chosen to be part of a whole, not to stand individually. You play an important part, an indispensable part, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, to the body of Christ. The world would have you think that differences divide us. That if you have a different view, if you have a different, different likes or dislikes, you stay to your group. You stay to your group. That's not the same in the church. Again, do not conform to the things of this world. Don't think like the world. The differences that we have is what unites us. Now, in both of these passages, both in 1 Corinthians and in, in, back in Romans chapter 12, Paul also tells us what the detriment to, to that unity in the church is. And the very, very simple thing is, it's pride. It's pride. Again, in verse 3, for by, this, for by the grace given to me to say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In 1 Corinthians 12, it's pride that gets the eye to say that they don't need the hand. It's pride that says, that, that, that says to the head that we don't need the feet. 
It's the assumption that you can do everything on your own, that you don't need the brother, you don't need the sister in your life to grow, to mature in your faith, that you can survive on your own. Or, or even the reverse of that, the reverse of the pride, where, the, where it's the self-pity that Paul even talks about in that same passage, where, where just because the hand says, I'm not an I, I can't be part of the church, that's self-pity. Where you're wallowing in your, wallowing in your inability, in your insecurities, I'm just the feet. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a head. I'm not as good as a head. Either types of pride, whether it's, it's, it's this self-indulging, puffed-up hubris kind of pride, saying that you're better than everything else, that you don't need anyone, or that you're, you're too weak or you're, you're useless, that you can't be part of something. All of that sows division in a church. All of that sows division in a church. Again, we are many but one in Christ. Your gifts serve a purpose. You are valued all the same, regardless of your, whether you're up here leading worship or you're just stacking chairs or you're setting out refreshments or you're serving in children's ministry. Your gifts are, are valued the same and serve for the purpose of, of unifying and glorifying God, or glorifying our God, unifying our church. Listen, especially for those who think that they can simply disappear and that your lack of presence, your absence, would not be felt. The Bible says differently. The Bible says that your absence will be felt because you are part of a whole. Imagine for a second, as you're sitting there, your hand just disappeared. Like, my hand right now is going numb because I'm holding this, this mic. It's like, what? I can't feel it. Seriously, but imagine for a second that you're just sitting there and out of, out of nowhere, your, your, your feet just disappeared. You would feel the absence of it, right? In the same sense, listen, don't think that, you're, that you are so little that you are so unimportant in the body of Christ that your absence would not be felt. Again, Paul says, right, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think in our passage. There's a parallel to this actually in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, he says, complete, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and, in, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This, is, this brings us to why we have our gifts in the first place. Look at verse 6 of our passage with me. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Listen, we are gifted to use our gifts in order to encourage and edify one another. Not for personal gain, not for personal benefit, but to benefit one another, to edify one another. Notice the gifts that Paul lists in that passage that we just read. One who serves. Well, who is he serving? Himself? No. The church. One who teaches. Who is he, who is he teaching? Himself? 
The church. The one who exhorts, the one who contributes, the one who leads. Who is he leading? Who is he exhorting? Who is he contributing to? Who is he showing acts of mercy to? Not to himself, not to the, to the individual, but to the greater church, the greater community of the church. The gifts that you have are not for yourself. It's for the glory of God and for the edification of your brother and sister in Christ. It is to minister to the other members of the body. Here's a reminder for, our we, for us. We are ministers to each one in the church. We are ministers to each one in the church. In 1 Corinthians, going back to that passage, or actually the context of that letter to the church of Corinth, Paul is dealing with a church that had a superiority complex. There are people in the church who were proclaiming that they had a better gift because they were either preaching or speaking in tongues or doing this or doing that. But Paul goes into that to that church and with that letter, reminding the members of that church that, no, 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 the gifts that you have is for the purpose of building up one another, not to lord it over one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, he says, so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Then in verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This is the essence of the ministry of presence. Be present in the church in order to minister to brothers and sisters. You can't do that at home. You can't do that when you're absent or when you come to even church for the sake of consuming, just to receive. Again, we call this consumer Christianity. You come to be served. You come to be fed. You come to be refreshed and learn. And yes, that is important in certain seasons of our lives, but we can't be in that season forever. If we are in that season forever, it shows us that maybe we are not exactly growing because a growing and a fruitful believer will pour out, will bless, will edify, will encourage a brother and sister. Not just come to receive, receive, receive. It's the reason why we're even developing these spiritual gifts, right? Again, we've talked about prayer and studying the Word. Yes, that edifies us, and yes, it, it grows us in our own personal walk with the God, but it also allows us to minister to our brothers and sisters. Who, can, who else can we pray for aside from ourselves? Our brothers and sisters. Who else does the word of God in our lives benefit? Not just us, but those that we talk to, those that we can encourage and edify with Scripture from the word of God. And yes, it's communing with God. Yes, it's meeting with our Heavenly Father. And that's really good and definitely beneficial to our own walk with God, but it also can benefit the community of believers, the church. Again, Paul in that passage says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. We are to come prepared with something to give to one another, to, to, to edify one another with. That's why we spend time in prayer. That's why we spend time in the Word. Colossians 3.16, Paul says the same thing. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Minister to each one in the church. That's that's the call for us. We need to get out of this mentality that, 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 you know, 
that, again, the personal relationship mentality that you're only coming to church to feed yourself. You know, this is my worship to God, my service to God, my giftings, my needs, and my spiritual walk, and again, my personal relationship with God. That's not the right mentality. That's not why you should be coming to church. It's our worship. What we can together collectively bring to God in worship, an acceptable offering to the Lord, and what we can do together to edify the body of Christ, to minister to one another. And here's the ultimate goal that Paul gets at. Look at verse 9 with me back in our main passage. He says, let love be genuine. The purpose of the ministry of presence, the purpose of why you ought to come to church and use your giftings and encourage one another and serve one another, edify one another, the purpose of it is to demonstrate genuine love. Demonstrate genuine love. Here's a reminder for us. We are made to love one another in the church. We are made to love one another in the church. The greatest distinctive, I've, I've said this in the past, the greatest distinctive of a true believer, of a Christian, is love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Listen, a church with no love is no church at all. A church with no love is no church at all. And the way that we are to display that love, the way that we are to demonstrate that love according to Paul in our passage is to be present in the church. It's to be present, and again, not just this building that we're in, but to be present in each other's lives. To walk with one another. To go through trials and tribulations with another. To walk with the sick. To, to rejoice in the, in the mountaintops and to, to grieve in the valleys of one another. To rebuke one another when sin arises. Our love for each other is a testimony of the authenticity of our faith. It actually truly proves that we are a body of Christ when we communicate and demonstrate love amongst ourselves. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So listen, and listen to this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity, our display of love within the church, our, our, our being present in the lives of one another, of every believer, encouraging and edifying one another, that unity is what communicates to the world that we are truly a body of Christ. It's why our love must be genuine. Again, in our passage... Paul lists out how we can have genuine love. He says in verse 9, again, let love be genuine. How does that love look like? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He lists out a whole criteria of how that love ought to look like. And all of it requires us being present in each other's lives. All of, us requires, all of it requires us being present in our brothers' and sisters' lives. It can only be done in the context of community. It can only be driven by love. Love is at the heart of the ministry of presence. Now, so let's discuss some practical application here, right? How, how we can be more present, how, how, to, how to be more present in each other's lives. Well, let me put up a list for you similar to how we've been doing for these past few weeks. First of all, be physically present. Yes, that means being here. Being here at church on time. Let me just put it out there. On time. Start the service with one another on time, right? Yes, it means attendance, but because uh, again, your presence is missed when you're not here. But it also extends to sharing a helping hand or sharing materially if a brother or sister is in need. Be, be physically present. Be physically present in the church. Secondly, be spiritually present. Be spiritually present. Utilize your spiritual gifts, as we've been talking about, to minister to one another, to edify one another. Whatever gift that you have, and I'm sure as I'm saying this, you're all thinking about what it is that you're gifted at. Whatever comes to your mind, whatever the Holy Spirit has brought into your perspective, use that for the furtherance of God's kingdom and his glory. And of course, to edify your brother and sister in Christ. Whatever it might be, we'll find a place to use it. We'll find a place to utilize it. But that's how we can be spiritually present. And then again, your time in the word, your time in prayer, the things, the, these habits that we've been cultivating throughout the week, those things also play into how we can edify our brothers and sisters spiritually. Thirdly, be, be emotionally present. Be emotionally, be emotionally present. Grieve with those who are grieving. Rejoice with those, with those who are celebrating. Share in, 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 the, in, in the joy. Share in the sorrow. Bear one another's burdens as we've read in Scripture this morning. We are to be there in every, in every aspect of life, not just our time here in church, not just in these Saturday mornings, but to be there in, in, in all the ups and downs of one another's lives. And of course, be mentally present. Give focus to one another. Give attention to one another. Sometimes in our day-to-day -day lives, we, we, we can often see how we get so caught up in our own things, our own worries, our own problems, the things that we have to do, our responsibilities, all of that, that we forget about one another. Be consciously aware. Be aware of one another's needs, things to pray for. Again, check up on, on, check up on one another. Keep each other accountable. Give your attention, give your, your mental fortitude to walk with, with other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we close, so again, we're on a 66-day challenge. And now the challenge for us is getting into the habit of being present. This is like next level, like level three challenge, right? Here's a challenge for us this morning as, as we close up here. Ask God to put someone on your heart. 
Because again, you know, with the busyness of our, our day-to-day and our lives, we can't always be present. We can't, you know, walk with someone, a brother and sister in Christ on a daily basis, unless maybe you're married to them, right? So how do we live this out practically? Well, ask God to put someone on your heart. Ask him to put someone on your heart. You don't need to meet up with that individual every day, but be present in their life. Check up on them every week, on that brother, on that sister. Ask them about their struggles. Walk with them through their journey in life. Rejoice with them in in their celebrations. Grieve with them in in their brokenness, in their sorrow. Ask God. Again, here's the challenge for the next 66 days. Ask God to put someone on your heart to walk whoever it may be. And in addition to that, in the, again, in the ministry of presence, whatever gifting that you have, if you're not using it, utilize it. If you can sing, I heard this morning that a, a, a sister in Christ can sing, right? Then utilize your gift for singing. If you can serve in hospitality, if that is, that's what your strength is, then, then sign up. To serve in that way. Just all for the sake of ministering to individuals. Then the individuals of our church, the body of Christ. This is the ministry of presence that we, we need to get into the habit of. Now, as we close here, for the lost. It's the, the reminder for the lost is that these truths, these applications, these practical steps that we've been talking about and being present and experiencing genuine love, practicing genuine love in the community of believers, all of these truths come after Paul explains throughout the, throughout the book of Romans about, it comes after Paul explains the gospel and that it is a response to the fruit of salvation. These truths that we've been talking about, these practical applications, only come after Paul has discussed that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That we are all sinners. Being part of the family of God is, only comes after you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Only comes after salvation. So if you have yet to put your faith in Christ, if you have yet to reconcile your sins with the cross of Jesus Christ, the invitation is to do that first. Because that's the only way that you become part of the family of God. And to the found, to believers, to Christians, the challenge, the call for us this morning is, listen, let's be the body of Christ. Let's edify one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's be present in one another's lives. We can't do this walk alone. We can't do church behind a monitor, behind a screen. We must be present, not just physically, but be present in one another's lives. Church, let's get into the habit of being present. Let's demonstrate genuine love as a bride of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we, we want to praise you.
Lord, it's by your will, by your sovereign choice that you have called us, you have chosen us, you have forgiven us, you have redeemed us to be part of the family of God. We would have nothing here, Lord, if it were not for your grace and your mercy upon us sinners who did not deserve it, who did not earn it, but just out of your great love, you have called us into the family, into your family. Lord, we ask for forgiveness where we have made church about us individually. We ask for forgiveness, Lord God, where we have puffed ourselves up and glorified our own giftings or bragged about our position or office or our service, or our gift, or our talents in the community, or even, God, have thought to ourselves that we are not good enough. That the way that the Holy Spirit has gifted us is not good enough. Forgive us for these thoughts that think that the way that you have empowered and shaped us and edified and sanctified us, O oh Lord, is not worthy of service in the church or not worthy of utilizing to minister to brothers and sisters, Lord God. How can we say that if that gift is from you? Lord, forgive us for the times that we have been divided. Whether because it's pride, whether it's because we think that we don't belong or that we could do things on our own. I pray, oh Lord, that your, that you, Holy Spirit, would just move amongst your people this day and genuine love would be planted deep within us. Genuine love for you, but also for one another. That you would convict our hearts to desire to be present be present in one another's lives, to be present in the struggling brother's life, to be present in the discouraged sister's life, to set aside our own, our own things for a change and to walk alongside one another. To be the body of Christ that represents you in this broken world, in this sinful world. Lord, help us because we know we cannot do this on our own, but it's only by the empowerment of your spirit that we can accomplish these things. But Lord, change our hearts, change our minds. Take center stage, oh Lord, in all of these things that the world might see that you have truly saved us, that we truly are a people whose lives have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grow genuine community in our midst. Grow a passion and a desire to serve one another, to walk with one another, to, to utilize the gifts that you have entrusted us with for the furtherance of your gospel, for the glory of, you, of your name, and for the Edification of our brothers and sisters. 
Lord, please do not leave us the same. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' your mighty name. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.